Hello and welcome to episode three of the Reset and Release podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Connie. Today's episode revolves around porn and the sex industry and how that's changing and how those working in it and their roles have adapted over the last few years. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce John Thomas. Hi, John. Thanks for coming along today. We have a bunch of questions to get stuck into before we start, but would you mind introducing yourself a little bit first? Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Uh, so I have been doing porn for two years now, um, and uh, it's been fun and it's, in, you know, kind of fulfilled a lot of the kind of wild and wonderful things I imagined porn might do before I did it. Um, but it's also been quite eye-opening to some of, I guess, some of the more like practical aspects of, of, of becoming like a, a sex role model um, in terms of like talking about sexual health um, a lot more than I expected to when I started out. Before porn as well, I worked in theatre and, uh, and I was doing my master's degree in movement direction. So I guess I do see like porn as being part of the world of performance and, and is an art form as well as um, a sexual fantasy. Uh, yeah, you talked about that actually in, I, I was doing a bit of digging uh, before the interview and I came across the piece you wrote, the first piece you wrote for Best Gay Life. And in it, you did touch on that porn was nearly like a step forward in your theatrical career. And it seems like you've been involved in theater, had a passion for theater for a long time, grew up in Bath in a Catholic household. Um, I'm from Ireland, obviously grew up in a Catholic household as well. I know the traditions can be, can be hard at times, you know, it's, it's a strict lifestyle. So I'd like to understand for you, what was it like growing up in that type of household? And I guess the journey that brought you to London in the end. Yeah, so um, my household is actually more complicated than that. So my dad was a priest in the Church of England, um, but he had an affair and left. And it's at that point that I went to Roman Catholic school. So I kind of had um, two different Christian traditions that really, really informed me growing up. Uh, and I was at Roman Catholic school when I was a teenager. Um, uh, and having sex education, which was very much based around um, a man and a woman getting married and having babies rather than anything else. Um, and uh, um, we certainly didn't learn about like sexual pleasure um, or, or safe sex and things like that, let alone like sex for, for gay people. Um, but also I think having a dad who was meant to be a kind of um, religious role model behaving in a very, um, inappropriate way in, in regards to kind of, you know, sexual desire um, and love um, definitely has had like a kind of an impact on, on my own kind of relationship to sex and shame, I guess, which um, the Roman Catholic Church only made worse, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've now there, but like very, again, like that's, it's a confusing upbringing being around and bounce around from all these different traditional views especially in school where you're I guess you're listening to these role models as teachers who tell you this is the way the world is this is what you need to know and if you're experiencing I suppose your urges your tendencies your your love and attraction to other people is different to what they say is okay you're gonna feel like whoa shit I you know there's something a little bit off with me and I wondered did, did you experience that at any stage was there like a battle 
that you were facing with what the conformed norm was in your upbringing or were you comfortable with that from a young age? No, I, I mean, I definitely felt what, you know, um, I definitely felt something similar to other people who I've spoken to who grew up in, in religious households, which was when I was a teenager and discovering um, like masturbating for the first time, that moment when you come just suddenly feeling like overwhelmed with guilt that you've done something really wrong. Um, and I think all of that kind of exploration going through puberty of, you know, like, you know, these are my genitals, these are my penis, this, this causes me sexual pleasure. But instant, the moment that pleasure hits, suddenly it's like, that was shameful, that was wrong, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, and then the fact that kind of my desires were, were pointing towards men rather than women was, was really confusing for me because I didn't really, there weren't really kind of gay role models back then, I don't feel, that were kind of prominent in, in um, the media and culture. Um, and then also just from a religious point of view, um, like in school we were, we were told when we were 16 that it was okay to be gay so long as you didn't practice sex with anyone. Um, uh, but then I guess I also, you know, we were also told not to have sex before marriage as well. So heterosexual and, you know, gay people in my class all kind of felt like this teaching wasn't relevant. Um, and I do think there's a, a really big problem with sex education particularly, I imagine, in religious schools in, in this country, um, whether you're gay or straight? I, th I think there's a, there's a huge aspect there. So I, I come from, uh, some, from Somerset. So there is that same sort of like countryside mentality where it's, you know, like 20 years uh, behind where we are <laughs> in London, um, which I always found quite shocking. I think there is some progress and change around sexual health education, how that's all sort of developing at the moment. But I think that's an element that, you know, um, social media and influencers and stuff like that play a huge role in. But I also think it's, it's the, the geography and where you are makes a huge difference as well. And so living in Bath and then moving to London, like what was the change in atmosphere that you felt there? So, I mean, when I came out like to my kind of close family and friends when I was like 16, I felt very comfortable um, like, generally. I think I still felt elements of shame towards like sexual desire. Um, and, and also this the community of, of gay people in Bath and, and the West Country was a lot smaller than it is in London. And I moved to London at, when I was 21 to go to uni, go to drama school, which I expected to be very gay. Um, and in a way it was, and it was great. And I, I met loads of gay people. And in my second year, I had my first gay flat share, which just felt like, liberating and this sort of incredible discovery of what it could be like to you know to, to share your home only with other queer people and there being this sense of understanding and not having to tiptoe around um things about being gay that might be shocking or offensive to to, to heterosexual people um and and also i think because big cities do tend to pull in lgbtq people from a, a wider area just like the, the community, I, I met gay people that I felt were more like me, whereas in, in Bath, I had felt like I didn't really fit in, that I didn't see myself represented by the people that I saw like in the local, local gay bar. So it was great. Um, and, there was, and, and also I guess it felt like sex, there was less, um, people were more, well, people were less inhibited in London in terms of sex, that like people could talk about it more openly. Um, it was like, really 
available. Um, uh, and and I guess there's like there are there's dangers within that, particularly when you're young and, and maybe might struggle to negotiate um, those encounters, um, particularly if you're not used to negotiating them. Uh, but generally, for me, London is a place I love, and I, I moved away in in 2013, um, thinking I would come back very soon, uh, and I moved back in 2018. And and yeah, but I remember the first weekend I lived here, I walked all the way from from Waterloo to, to Bethnal Green and like, just like crying with happiness to be back in the city. And, and, and uh, I know that some people hate London and that's absolutely fine, but for me it is, it's definitely my home and I feel like I belong here and I can inhabit spaces safely and be like amongst my tribe, which, which is great. I love that word tribe. Um, yeah, it's, it's special to just have community. I think it's, it's so important. Obviously, Irish in London, we have our big community here as well, so I completely understand. One thing that, that jumped out to me there, and it's something we discussed in, in detail in our first podcast, um, which was about mental health in the world of sex, and it is that guilt about some sort of sexual activity. So you mentioned masturbation when you're younger. We were mainly talking about one-night stands um, in our first podcast. And it is this thing, and I, I know that upbringing, tradition, all comes into it when, when you have this guilt. And you obviously had this guilt when you were younger, but now sex is, is part of your career. So I wondered, what was the journey that made you be more comfortable with sex, more accepting of yourself, and, and knowing that you don't need to feel bad about a, a sexual activity in, in, in any way, shape, or form, and that it doesn't shape you as an individual? It's a really good question, and I almost don't know. Like, I, I guess it's a, I guess it's a response to the amount of shame I felt. I, I had that same thing where it felt like sex with a boyfriend was totally fine, but sex with a stranger or a one night stand was somehow morally wrong. Um, and I guess I think one of the benefits of growing up as an Anglican in a Roman Catholic school was I was taught two different viewpoints. Or like Christianity, which meant that one of them had to be wrong, which really encouraged me to question things from from my, from like my teenage years, and I've, I guess I found myself really questioning what was acceptable sexual behaviour because I you know going back a few not that long within living memory, just being gay in itself was unacceptable uh, sexual behaviour, um, and I guess we now kind of draw an arbitrary line maybe that kind of like heteronormative um, gay relationships are acceptable, but like polyamorous relationships are somehow maybe unacceptable and they're certainly not um, permissible within within law. Um, and I guess I kind of just worked out that for me that the, the line was consent and whilst there might be didn't want to do sexually, as long as kind of consent was present, that really any kind of sexual behavior was okay. And I guess as I, as I grew up, like I wanted to do porn from the age of 21, but really worried about what the repercussions might be. And by the time I got to 30, I think I felt much more comfortable in my body and comfortable in my decision. And I think having been taught that like sex work was, was, was wrong from a young age because it was about um, coercion and like trafficking and people who had their agency taken away from them um and it was the kind of thing that you, you a good a good person wouldn't do 
I guess I kind of wanted to make a statement which was that like, I'm doing this purely as a choice and I can do it proudly and confidently because I don't think people growing up, gay people, straight people, should have to feel any shame around their sexuality. So if I can like quite publicly live without shame, I hope that can be part of a movement to, to improve people and young people growing up um, and be able to finally kind of throw off these kind of shackles of, of, of shame around sex and sexuality, which I guess I, I think are really problematic and, and I really felt as a teenager growing up. I, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think and a lot of us need to, it's, it is a journey, you know what I mean? Like as in you have a feeling towards something when you're, when you're younger and it's nearly when you get to find a community of like-minded people that you become more accepting of yourself and become more accepting and understanding of, of what's okay in your world and what isn't okay. What I'd like to ask you is just, what, what was that journey like? What, what was the desire to get into the porn industry for you? What, what led to that? Because you, you've, you stressed in the, in the article um, that I mentioned earlier that like, you know, you were thinking maybe I'd become a full-time academic and maybe you will at some point. I'm not, I don't know what your plans are, but you know, what, what was the draw to porn and, and, and what eventually got you to make that decision? I mean, I think it's, so being a theater, so being a theater director was my first job. Um, and my second job was being a porn actor or a porn star. Um, like both of these jobs um, require you being validated by an audience. Um, so I think there is something in that where like, I am, both of my dream jobs, which are also kind of quite unusual jobs as well, I guess, require like having an audience telling you that you've done well. So I think there's, there's something quite needy in a way or quite, or quite ego driven about it. Um, and something that, and also relates them together. Um, for me, going to drama school at 21, discovering kind of like gay nightlife in London as well, and uh, and, and the course I was doing um, looked interdisciplinary art forms and kind of having grown up thinking that theatre was like very much in a box, I started to realise there's a whole range of performance that happens in clubs and dive bars and small theatres and studios and um, in public spaces. And uh, I was doing more kind of alternative performances, like at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern in London, and uh, so which kind of shifted into doing live sex shows at clubs in Vauxhall, and it all felt like it was very comfortably part of uh, the world of theatre, but just using your body in a sexually explicit way. And I really enjoyed having an audience at this time. I, you know, I, I was very tall and gangly and and lean and i didn't feel like i was a typical kind of um like sexy guy i guess and so to receive this sort of validation from a crowd was really empowering and in a way i kind of imagined the lifestyle of a porn star might be really exciting like traveling around the world and staying in villas and having sex with really hot people but you know i was also scared that maybe then i wouldn't be taken seriously in in the world of theater you know, if I ever tried to get a job at the National Theatre or something like that. But I guess as, as my career went on, I sensed both a shift in like general uh, reaction to sex work, uh, but also, I guess, a shift in myself. Like I think to me, I felt like my work was getting less and less queer and I really wanted to be doing something that was quite rooted in my sexuality um, and would also 
hopefully give me the opportunity to have a platform to talk about issues that I think are important to the community. Yeah, which is really nice because that, that, that has happened that way, especially during this, this past year in lockdown, I guess. So yeah, that, that's all really interesting and amazing. And there's a lot to unpack there. It would be really interesting to understand how you deal with um, the ups and downs of um, validation from your audience and from the way in which you feel that about it yourself. How do you deal with the um, emotional implications of that? I think it's a, an, another really good question. And it's in the two years I've been doing it, definitely my relationship has, has changed with the work. And for now, I think whilst I believe very firmly that sex work is work, using your body uh, in the way that we do, there is like a vulnerability there. And, and also like, you know, an emotional and intellectual uh, vulnerability. Um, I guess I have been very fortunate in terms of the studios that I work with. I felt really well looked after by them. Um, and I've never, never felt treated inappropriately by producers or directors or anything like that, which uh, unfortunately I have like friends and colleagues who haven't had that experience and, and, um, uh, and that is a problem. I guess, you know, I, there's a lot of like response from fans and stuff, I guess, and it's lovely having positive comments, um, but then obviously a negative one does impact you. It's kind of like, um, like I don't, I don't think I'm the most attractive person in the world, and it's it's weird being a porn star and, and suddenly being found very attractive by lots of people. But like, for instance, I have really big ears, and I've always been very conscious of them. And then there are some people who love them and and like I don't know fetishize them. But there's also people who feel like I've like definitely had comments about like my big ears being like not sexy and stuff like that. And when that's being made very publicly, like on Twitter, either like directly to me um, or people commenting on like. A video that's been posted or something. Um, I, I guess um, I guess I've developed a thicker skin to deal with it, um, and I guess part of the maybe part of the benefit of, of having a large platform is that there is it's like kind of a wave of noise in a way. So it's possible to kind of let it like wash over you, whereas maybe if it's just like one comment, but it's just one comment just on its own, it, it lands a bit harder. Um, but I guess I think there needs to be balance as well. So I know that it, if, you know, for a lot of people, they maybe imagine that John Thomas like wakes up and has sex until he goes to sleep, but that, that, that isn't the case. Like I have, have a life that involves a lot of other yeah, stuff. That would be impressive, um, John. <laughs> I mean, I try, sometimes I try, honestly. Um, but like there's a lot of other stuff going on and it's, you know, my friendships, my studies, um, like the research I've done for my master's exercise, um, drawing, reading, that keeps me balanced. I think if I tried, to, if I actually tried to live the sort of fantasy lifestyle that I'm projecting on Twitter, uh, or that my you know my persona is projecting, then I think that would have a, a really serious effect on on my on my mental well being. Yeah, it's it kind of ties into a question that I've had on my mind since the start of the podcast is how how do you separate your life as your persona and, and you? And has it ever had, uh, has it had any negative impacts on potential personal relationships that you wanted to explore? It, it would be great to hear that because it, it, I think sometimes, especially in, in your field, if you're a character for so long, is it difficult to separate that character from who you, who you are every day? 
So I think for me, one thing that was really interesting was I started porn. Um, the plan was to start porn. I met a guy and I told, said to him, like, I'm going to start porn. If you are okay with that, we can pursue this relationship and not then, then move on. He was up for it. And so we started our relationship. Um, and we, I was quite new to Instagram. We were just being cute on there. But like, as time went by, it really felt like our relationship and our use of Instagram was quite kind of commodified. And rather than like necessarily sharing like a genuine photo of us together, it'd be like, oh, we should really set up this photo to be as like cute and coupley as possible to get the most kind of attention to promote whatever like free underwear we've been sent recently or, or whatever. Um, and um, and whilst we're still friends now, the relationship came to an end. And I think that was a significant part of um, the nature of my job and uh, and then also like the kind of the impact of outsiders commenting on it. So he would get a lot of people messaging him and saying, how can you let your boyfriend go off and get fucked by all these people? And um, which, you know, was none of their business and, and he wasn't in the industry. So it wasn't really like appropriate to be treating him in this way, but also, we'd allowed kind of social media to take over the way we shared our relationship a bit. Um, and so as a result, I am like a bit more guarded about what personal relationships I now share on my, on my social media. Um, like I try and share my experiences because I think it's helpful, like particularly around um, things like grief and mental health, but like kind of more particular details to do with like my, my close family um, and, and some of my friends I keep separate. Um, as much as I'd love to share it, it's like actually some things need to be kept private and need to be protected. That makes a lot of sense. And obviously we've we've discussed some of the maybe less positive elements of like having a social presence and being an influencer. But like there are positive elements, I guess, as well in terms of people reaching out to you and you being able to help people. Are there any questions that tend to come around quite often that people look to you for support on? Because you mentioned earlier sort of being a bit of an influencer in uh, sexual health and sexual wellness and may not be your specific area of expertise, but there are a lot of things that people come to you in that aspect. Yeah, so um, I'm HIV positive and that's something that I, that happened to me um, 10 years ago now. Um, and as a result, I'm like fairly clued up now about, you know, looking after my health as an HIV positive person who's on medication, is undetectable but also what that means in terms of having partners who are HIV negative, um, whether that's casual partners or, or like long-term romantic partners. Um, when I started doing porn, I didn't expect to be talking about sexual health. I thought I would definitely was just like inhabiting like the fantasy element, but I just started getting so many questions on social media, um, particularly around like STIs and HIV. Um, and, and that really was a big motivating factor um, during the first lockdown, which was uh, test now and HIV, um, uh, as a way to kind of like publicly answer these questions with a professional from Dean Street on, on Instagram, because I think that there's a lot of there's a lack of knowledge around like sexual like how 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 gay men can protect their sexual health because it's not something we necessarily get taught in school very explicitly. Yeah. Um, so I guess. Yeah, HIV transmission. And then for people who do understand how PrEP works, then like, what about STI transmission? Um, and so the message that I try and share, which is, is the message that I take from Dean Street, is that like having safer sex involves a number of options and different options work for different people. 
So condoms are one way of, of, of um, protecting yourself or your partner from, from HIV and STIs. PrEP uh, is possibly the best way to protect yourself from HIV. Um, being on medication as an HIV positive person and being undetectable is brilliant not only for your own immune system and your own health, but to protect your sexual partners. Um, but also what's really key is testing regularly so that you, you know your status in regards to, to um, all the different like gorgeous sexual, sexually transmitted uh, infections that are out there. Um, and then I guess personally for me, I try and break down some of that shame around it. So I think someone I'd slept with told me that they had a positive result for syphilis. Um, and then I had, so I had to get uh, treated for it or possibly had a positive, and I maybe had a positive result as well. And I shared it on Twitter as a kind of like the backstory to um, this funny comment where, where the nurse on the phone asked me whether I'd had a lot of sexual partners in the last few months or not. And when I said it was a lot, she said, oh, like 10, um, which was like a very conservative estimate for a, for a, for a sex worker. And it got like a like quite big reaction. A lot of people were kind of slut shaming. Um, uh, and then other people kind of were really like pleased to see someone just like being very honest about like an STI. Um, because I think, you know, it's one thing to be sex positive when sex is a fantasy and looks hot, but it's another thing to be sex positive when we're talking about um, STIs, which actually is really important to be able to be open and have those conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it. It really is. And it's one of the things that sort of started us on the journey of building Droglo because it essentially came from a conversation where I was discussing um, STIs with a group of friends at a party because someone had contracted something and they shamed the person who they got it from. And I drunkenly went over and shamed them all for shaming someone. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's the problem because these things aren't really openly discussed in the school or when they are, it's very clinical. It, it fundamentally corrupts the way in which people think about it because you can't have a casual conversation about, oh, I need to send someone a text to let them know they should get this, um, get this checked because people hype it up to be something that they should be worried about the reaction. And I think that is something that needs to change. And that's something that we're like trying to change for Trogo. But I think having influences like you and having people who are able to discuss this and use their platform in that way effectively is such a huge part of that because you need those other voices in the room because clinicians are amazing and they're great and they're needed, but they are sometimes not the most relaxed person to have a casual conversation with about these things. Um, so yeah, I think it's such a huge, important part of what you do. And I, I think the other thing is like, you know, if we're scared about telling someone we have an STI, then we're not going to tell them, which is far worse. Um, and I guess as part of my job, I have to call in sick to work if I have an STI. Like, <laughs> I have yeah. to tell my boss I can't come to work. And um, <laughs> I've had to, I've had, you know, I've had to cancel flights and shoots, and it's cost people money. Yeah. But like, it's not that's the right thing to do, rather than like pass it on when I know I, I could be. It's 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 yeah. It's it's similar to like when uh, if people are really down like depressed they're really really anxious and they hide it from their employer and they go in and they don't perform you know it's it's it we're trying to say like sexual health mental health they're intricately linked and like it's just the way it is and we need to be more open to talk about all of them um so john like you're, you're doing an incredible job we think in that area and when we're coming towards the end of the podcast like time is just flown by I don't know where it's gone I'm, I'm getting the zoom counter in the corner here and I'm like I need to <laughs> I need to ask him one more question 
and it is this is from you so you you talked about how your your world um that you create in porn is fantasy at times but it's also it's it's performance and you as someone who um is an influencer and is passionate about the freedom of sexual expression i would like to understand what your performance means to you what what would you like people to take away from your performance and take into their own worlds um i guess what i want people to take away is that i want you to enjoy your sexuality i want you to experiment and explore like safely and comfortably um, and have fun in my, my own fan content now i'm trying more to include more of the kind of the normal moments like the laughter and the, the conversations the the awkward moving between positions rather than just editing out the, those bits and just keeping the hot moments in because i think that's sexy as well and i think we kind of need, need to ground sex in reality um and uh like no, 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 no two porn stars actually have sex. It looks like it does in a porn film. That's a really heavily constructed fantasy. And as it should it's be, like, it's a work of like, art. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, this, I guess in, in my own work now, it's like trying to make sex you know, as hot and wonderful as it can be, but also make it grounded in reality as an incentive for people to, to feel confident and liberated enough to, to explore their sexuality and... Um, and find people that they like and do nice things with them. Yes, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really interesting chat and I, for one, have got a new perspective on these areas that I haven't really thought in the same level of detail before. Um, and I'm sure Connor and our listeners have too. Tune in same day next week for episode four of the Reset and Release podcast brought to you by Joe